you know, Luke and Han uh, get in those, what are they, laser pod batteries? You mean the quad batteries? The twin linked or whatever. No, they're quad. Fine, fine. Live from the Mundangerous Trireme in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 159 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about using vehicles and ships in your campaign. But first the rogue traders answer the doorbell in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the spell slugger deals out painful somatic components in the character creation forge. So today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash DSPN. Uh, Shane, what is DSPN? Don't split the podcast network. Hey, we belong to them, I guess. They, yes, they contractually own us. That sounds creepier than it is. No. Well, yeah, it's also kind of a stretching of the truth. <laughs> oh, perfect. That yeah. is what we do here. Yep. Um Anyway, Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from uh, and is available on iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3. Uh, You know, back in uh, 1999, I had a Rio MP3 player. It could store a whole 64 megabytes of audio. It was pretty amazing. That was like a whole CD. An entire CD, yeah. That you downloaded one song at a time each night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from Napster. <laughs> that is 100% correct. Sometimes LimeWire. Uh, you also had some personal achievements, like uh, achievements unlocked this week. Yeah, I uh, said that I was writing an article for my actual job, and I wrote an article for my actual job about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, turns out some people noticed, including uh, Greg Tito, who does comms for Wizards of the Coast. He mentioned it on uh, the D&D uh, news live stream on Twitch. I'll put a link in the show notes to the story if you want to read about it, because uh, I played Tomb of Annihilation with some uh, nerds at an ad agency. Uh, if you have a problem with the paywall, PM me. <laughs> Just Google the title and click the link. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Speaking of subverting gates. Oh, actually, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? Uh, the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malage Act, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. And they are under attack. And desperate. And so we split up, because that makes sense. Uh-huh. Yep. Your Astropath, Flare, your Quartermaster, Echo, and your Seneschal, Trix, are exploring a library hidden in the depths of the house. And they've found a book that's interesting. Yeah, fine. Whatever. Let the nerds do their thing. But the Arch Militants, Draco and Trank, man the upper casements of the fortress, while our assailants drive a massive battering ram into the front of the gatehouse, which is, of course, causing the whole structure to ring like a terrible, horrible bell. 
and there is one party member unaccounted for, the Heretech Doc. Who's probably not doing anything awful. Uh, well, he was tending to the wounded, but he is now mustering some 60 able-bodied armsmen, uh, probably your last 60, to reinforce the gatehouse. Well, that's good because it's brutal fighting up there. Um, the whole gatehouse chamber is filled with stink, the stink of bodies and sweat and blood and smoke. Yeah, Doc's defense is organized. He's using grenades and flamers to pretty good effect. but And his leadership is unfaltering. Uh, that surprises me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and it turns out. Like, Maybe it's because he's mostly made of metal. Yeah. <laughs> the defenders, like your armsmen, are actually like trading five to one with the attackers. Like they're They're getting a pretty good account of themselves. It's just like, even so, there's just so many of them. And they are seeding ground. Yeah, once they actually make a foothold in the chamber turns out they got a champion uh he's big bigger than like a regular person thick cords of muscle and he has a very very scary sword and charges yeah he immediately springs into battle uh and starts cleaving armsmen in half i mean you know we didn't have enough of them so do they each count as an individual armsman now an arm man yeah you've doubled up <laughs> Uh, and Doc, with a confidence truly born of ignorance, meets this champion head on. I knew there was a reason that we brought him. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about how to use vehicles and ships in your game. Um, this, of course, is an idea we had all on our own. Yep. No thanks at all due to listener Thomas, who definitely did not ask us last week in the mailbag about pirates in Eberron and how to use ships. And then we said, oh, we have so many ideas for this. Let's t wait. This is getting too long. Hold on. Let's do a whole episode about this. Yeah. So last week we recommended that Thomas check out the third edition D&D source book, Stormrack, which um, I still recommend. But now we'll talk about vehicles and ships more broadly. Okay. So in your game, what do vehicles actually do functionally? Well, they're a means of travel, which means you the range of your campaign on the map is going to expand yeah it's not much of a vehicle if it goes more slowly than we can walk uh, yeah exactly <laughs> so <laughs> like you know if you were previously confined to uh like one sector of a city or like one neighborhood maybe you can now reach further places in the city if you were in a city you can travel to the next city um you know in like sci-fi games you could be leaving the planet or even the the galaxy and maybe even going back to where you were before Oh, my God. Yeah, weird. <laughs> it's like traveling backwards in time in the narrative. Um, of course, vehicles also add new encounters and challenges. Um, you know, the things that you might never have experienced, you know, the life of a sailor at sea is now a little more real when you're in charge of a boat. And my maybe second favorite thing about vehicles is that you get to hand wave certain kinds of activities that are boring. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I guess you could always do. But now, like, the reward is you get to hand wave those things. <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes sense, right? Okay, you trek through the jungle the first time on foot. We're going to make a bunch of rolls. Maybe you get lost. We're going to talk about, like, setting up your tent and all of that. The next time, uh, you're on an airship, and you just get there more quickly. Or the 10th time, right? Really, it's like the 10th time where you're just saying, hey, we, we go back to base. Right. Um, can we just get there, right? Yeah? Okay. Well, it's funny you mentioned back to base, because the other thing that an airship can be for you is a base. Oh, my first favorite thing about vehicles. <laughs> yeah, um, which, of course, also means they can be a money sink. 
uh, my favorite thing as a GM about vehicles. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do we do with all this gold? I don't understand. Platinum pieces, what good are they? Yeah. He, uh, here's something that you could put arbitrary amounts of that reward into. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I'm charging you per square foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, of course, you know, gives your party a chance to personalize, you know, so they can um, add on, expand, add like modules to it or uh, weapons or equipment or gear or you know uh decorate it in whatever way they want yeah i'll say the first time that i was ever confronted in a game with like building a base i was actually like eh, i don't know like what's the point of that like does that give me better pluses on my sheet um why do i want and then suddenly i was like wait wait a minute hold on like I can decorate my room however I want. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to buy the stuff. And I could draw the map. Hold on a second. <laughs> if you're the kind of person who's like, I don't understand why people get all the different kinds of digital skins for their avatars in games, um, you're about to find out. <laughs> why do people pay real money for this? Yeah, I mean, that was... Uh... That was originally sort of the vision of the gun cutter uh, in the Dynasty and Warranty campaign was like, it is your ship personally because you guys obviously like weren't in charge of your rogue traderly vessel uh on paper anyway but um so the first thing i did was like hand you a map of your ship like laid out um as like a schematic and you guys are like whoa we have like a conference room <laughs> <You're right. laughs> uh, and that's my room right and, like <laughs> all this cargo space and like a lot of seats i don't think we need all those seats <laughs> like, what if we remove these seats can we put in more guns right <laughs> It's not the seat cutter, right, okay? Right now, it's the gun cutter. We would like to make it the guns cutter. <laughs> There's one in the front. Uh, we need at least one in the back, also the sides. <laughs> right. Plus, let's not forget, top and bottom. Space is three-dimensional. Now, talk to me about the escape pod situation. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about like personalizing a space like this is, it, uh, like as a player, it changes the dynamic of looting. Right? So... You storm the castle, great. The siege is successful. Okay, you take over. Um, yeah, there's a coronation, whatever. You're in charge of the country. However... Tell me about the art. Yes, these are fine tapestries. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to a certain kind of player, you were always going to take those tapestries. Yeah. Now yeah. there's just like uh, an in-game reason to do it. Now I want pictures. Right. <laughs> we're going to get a commission of my tapestry. Uh, so another thing that a vehicle often represents in a game is another weapon. So as I'm sure you're painfully aware, there are often vehicle combat rules uh, added into games. Yeah, ignore them like grappling. It's fine. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but this introduces like new combat encounters, right? So you have chases, you have dogfights, you have like larger kind of capital ship combat, sort of more of like a, a naval kind of combat. Yeah, and it's a, another place to sink not just money for more weapons, but also uh, skill points and proficiencies in knowing how to use those weapons. Yeah. Also, they're usually way more powerful, right? Because uh, even like in a little Millennium Falcon, you know, you're zipping around. Yeah, okay, they can take out one TIE fighter. Uh, but if you aim them at an Ewok. Yeah. <laughs> or a Stormtrooper. Let's, the, the two most murderous things in the galaxy. Yeah, uh, lightsabers are very impressive, okay? But they don't hold a candle to actual vehicle weapons. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, like, you know, the Millennium Falcon is fine against blaster fire. It's not so good against the turbo laser of a Star Destroyer. It also introduces... Uh, a phrase that I think your players will quickly learn to adapt uh, once they realize it's possible, which is, can a bombardment solve this problem? 
Uh, so you're saying we have two cyclonic torpedoes on board? Yeah. <laughs> and the means with which to fire them. <laughs> so so as long as we can lure them out into the open, we can win this fight is what you're telling me. And, of course, probably uh, most applicable to many of the games that we play in, vehicles allow an easy and quick means of escape if you are being cowardly or you are overrun right. or your GM throws too much at you because they're an asshole. Uh. Is that the only reason a GM could throw too many things at you? No, no. I'm just talking about some of our GMs, which would be <laughs> you often and me other times. I have never asked you to escape. <laughs> no, you've just made it necessary. When have you escaped? Uh, I rest my case. <laughs> every single time we leave a dumb, dumb world. Here on the garbage world of Gonsalgrim, we will start uh, two assassin's cults and then leave so that they may fester. Those were definitely good decisions. Spoiler, they weren't good decisions. <laughs> Strictly speaking, that <laughs> happened on Nova Bella. <laughs> See, I can't even keep them straight. I tried to escape so quickly. All right, so that's how uh, vehicles affect the game in terms of mechanics. But sometimes there's more to a game than just numbers. Yeah, weird how that works. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about how vehicles affect a game narratively. What do they represent? Well, they're a great reward. I love watching players when they realize that they're about to get a ship yeah you know <laughs> even if they already have a ship right hey wait a minute they left the keys in there <laughs> anybody could take it even us <laughs> this is always this like tentative moment of like sniffing around being like this is a trap right of course this is a trap it has to be a trap <laughs> right and you're just like oh maybe maybe it is or maybe it's yours i'm just gonna captain jack sparrow this <laughs> see what happens you can make the ship itself uh like that might be integral to the plot right can become the reward right it falls either uh, under their command or under their direct ownership um or they simply hijack it or seize it or commandeer it um but all intents and purposes like that could be the big reward at the end of an arc yeah give a star wars character an x-wing see how happy they are like the <laughs> jedi you get a lightsaber very very happy you the pilot you get an x-wing of course sometimes x-wings explode yeah i mean anything that is important to the characters also ultimately becomes a liability for the characters oh right, right? it's so great here's some loot that you are going to get so attached to that you are going to name it yep <laughs> <laughs> uh which which effectively means that a vehicle is just a walking flying sailing plot hook generator Right. Yeah, you thought you were getting you know, uh, past this by making yourself an orphan. Mm -hmm. yep. You've just formed new attachments, my friend. <laughs> right. D&D <laughs> um, &D doesn't do this, but realistically, most characters should just have bonds to their loot. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh, oh, my sword. Actually, I'm just going to start giving every party an apparatus of Qualish. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so adorable. It's a wooden crab. Who lets us live inside it? It's bigger on the inside. Uh, narratively, the vehicle also becomes sort of an NPC on its own. So this can happen literally in the case of like um, an intelligent mount or something like that, but also like, you know, an, an artificial intelligence or like a shipboard computer, um, anything, you know, the crew that represent the ship um, can all like act as the NPC. But it's also figurative if you think of like how... Um, old sailors talk about the sea right like they always personify the ship yeah i mean any firefly game like serenity is a character of course right the millennium falcon 
Of course. Yeah. So so think about describing the action like and and narrating as though the vehicle becomes like you know has those personified qualities things like uh you know it strains against uh the wind or it's you know it groans in protest for the difficult maneuver or you know like that engine is so temperamental it's like always like blowing up at us you know yeah and it's nice when you're sort of referring to the vehicle in this way uh, it's very easy to narratively apply the rules that you're using for your PCs as well, right? Like it can make skill checks and it can use things like action points um, or, you know, fate or, or destiny, right? Like it has a purpose in the story. And so like the threads of fate can be woven by it as well. Yeah, because ultimately the ship becomes a reflection of its owner, right? Which is, you know, the party. But think about what like a galleon versus a frigate tells you about the party like what they've chosen or like what does luke's x-wing represent compared to han's millennium falcon it tells you something about those characters lando's millennium falcon (laughs) uh chewbacca's millennium falcon (laughs) okay fair (laughs) you get the same uh pretty cool effect in like gundam type games um a mech and their pilot has a particular bond yeah, and like the the personality of the pilot is always reflected in the in the mech, right? Like the the hot headed pilot is always like the super like attack forward mech, whereas like the quieter and more meek is sort of the tricky and thoughtful mech. Yeah, even though it doesn't it doesn't mean it has to be that way, right? Like in real life, um, just because you have like uh, someone who's like pretty small and and wiry, you don't give them like a light battle tank as opposed to like an Abrams. You know, it it doesn't matter. But in these kinds of fiction, this is always what happens. And it it just it makes sense. Like in Voltron, Hunk is like the big kind of tubby, kind of slow dude. He gets the big kind of tubby, kind of slow, but very tough lion. Yeah. I mean, the the same thing, like if you think of a movie like Fury, um, speaking of tanks, like the the American tank that's captained by um, by Brad Pitt is like sort of the plucky, like underdog tank. Right. That's like crafty in how it works and and isn't the strongest armored or isn't the uh isn't like the highest caliber cannon um and when it squares off against the german tanks which are bigger and like just much more menacing like it's in the context of the ss who are sort of this faceless like massive fanatics versus like the americans who are just trying to make it out the other side and do what's right yeah and the german tanks are also genocidal racists against other kinds of tanks yeah no they hate other kinds of tanks mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> um and i mean we do this today right like i mean we do this in, in the real world like what do you think when you see somebody on the street driving a mclaren versus driving a bmw versus driving a subaru versus driving a minivan right like you associate qualities of the people who choose these things um so you would do or you could do the same thing in your game i mean i see people as people oh i see minivan drivers as liabilities (laughs) they're definitely not people (laughs) uh but you know like you think like oh you drive a subaru like i associate that with the marketing of subaru you must like outdoor stuff and of course because this is a trope it's actually fun to occasionally subvert the big vehicle shows up and out pops uh someone very tiny or a pixie right a pixie is uh captain of a giant galleon yeah or a star destroyer <laughs> 
So it's fun to have uh, vehicles and ships in your game, but there are definitely some potential pitfalls uh, when you're using them. They can make things really complicated, especially if you're using a uh, game system or like a subsystem of a good game that handles your vehicles poorly. Yeah, like it seems like so many games just have vehicles as afterthoughts. Yeah, yeah, you slapped it on at the end, right? It's it, They're the psionics of gear combat. <laughs> Possibly worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so many times you see, like, you abandon, like, your core mechanic once you engage with vehicle systems. Like, right, like, uh, you have totally faceless combat where everyone is hyper-competent and they make, like, you know, combat checks. And then you get in a vehicle and it's like, now we care about facing and you can only turn a certain number of degrees and you have firing arcs. And also, like, you have to use skills to do this instead of just doing your cool, like, feats. Break out the protractor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, like, suddenly size becomes really important when it's always just been like, oh, yeah, they're huge. You can see them. Flip over the battle map. We're using hexes now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Suddenly everything's in three dimensions, but... Couldn't my character look up before? No. No, and you didn't. Right. You know, the other thing is sometimes it's uh, it's just less tactically satisfying. You know, like, even even in a game that is very granular, um, it might just be that you don't have enough interesting options to do with a vehicle, and, like, every, every engagement with those rules feels very samey. You know, all I do is make my pilot check every round. All I do is make my engineering check to align the deflector shields every round like what are we doing here yeah this especially happens when you know you've got one vehicle and five players and so everyone ends up kind of relegated to one task you're the engineer you're the pilot you're the gunner okay and that's it yeah i mean specialization is definitely another challenge and especially if you're not one of those pilot classes i just be the (laughs) co-pilot yeah you're also the co-pilot what do i do i help the pilot (laughs) perfect okay cool i'll never make a roll yep yep. you just do that you give them an extra die um and then sometimes you can run into systems where if you don't have those pilot skills you're just useless in a vehicle uh we learned this in dark heresy um in our very first dark heresy game when we waded out into the desert in like a dune buggy that none of us could operate oh yeah we also didn't read the rules well enough to know that if you try to ram or get rammed the vehicles essentially explode oh hey that's that's a lousy subsystem (laughs) that's a that's a whole different thing (laughs) you take damage like you're on the outside of the vehicle (laughs) right (laughs) in the past i have attempted to use like skill challenges to sort of modulate this um more just kind of challenging um, the players to come up with like an interesting thing that they can do um, on the ship using some skill that they have. Um, but, you know, it works kind of in spots more so than as your core mechanic or your core vehicle experience. Yeah, the worst case is when uh, you get into situations where you need the right skills or the right abilities to even be a passenger. Right. Like <laughs> in uh, Eclipse Play's first edition, there's the free fall skill, which is basically like, can I move in zero gravity? But, you know, if you're on a ship uh, that doesn't necessarily have normal gravity, sometimes just like being in the cargo hold and going from one place to another place while there's a battle going on can essentially cause you damage because you're like smacking into walls. Not only are you useless, like uh, you're going to die. Right. So another thing to keep an eye out for is that 
sometimes adding vehicles into your game can really change the tone of the game. Um, and this is, I think, more true when you have kind of grittier, like darker settings. Um, you know, if if you're playing Warhammer Fantasy and you are used to being like the level zero, like rat catcher, and all of a sudden you have this big shiny ship that now grants you freedom to travel about the world, um, you're not really the rat catcher anymore. Yeah, you're the Corsair. That's yeah. you now. <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's a, a game that your players were prepared for. But if not, then that's something that they their character sort of needs to come to terms with. Yeah. And it's a difficult thing to put back in the bottle um, is the other thing. It's like once that genie's out, um, it's really hard to claw back the vehicle and the freedom that came with it. Yeah, like blowing it up at that point is basically just... It's almost like removing levels yeah. from from your party. <laughs> it you is. Know? It's like level drain. Yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, like genie back in the bottle because I was going to say it's a lot like Aladdin, right? Like he finds a genie and now suddenly he's Prince Ali, you know? And you can't, you can't go back. You know, you've seen a wider world now and there should be repercussions uh, in the story and, you know, for the way that the characters view the world and the lives that they live. Yeah, and likewise, like, your players should expect changes now that they have this vehicle, especially if vehicles are rare and valuable, right? Like, they should see a difference in their social standing or, like, their economic standing or their military rank or whatever it is, right? Like, if you are the captain of a firefly that's flying around the verse, that means something like you're not just a mercenary out for hire anymore. Like you have responsibilities, you have an asset, you have, you know, like everything that goes along with that. Yeah. It means that no one will respect you. Everyone will always give you guff. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, the firefly is not really like a good class of ship. Oh yeah. I mean, come on. Like it doesn't even have stabilizers. Yeah. I'm talking about, I mean, it's like an all three. <laughs> <laughs> So if you find that you're running into these pitfalls, Ishan, what are what are some techniques to help mitigate those? One thing I like to do is kind of remove the vehicles from the vehicle subsystem altogether and essentially make it a story element. Um, it's, you know, like a large object. It's a house, you know, but I don't really need rules for like how houses fight other houses, you know? Um, people can decorate it. People can put stuff in it. If it gets attacked, all right, I've got rules for like hit points of of the walls and like you know how many like what material they're made of and like how much damage they can take you know um but uh, often i just end up sort of narrating the the vehicle combat or stripping it down to something much more simple that the kind of rules that you would use uh with what one person fighting another person and if i have a player who's going to be uh, invested in that someone who wants to be a pilot someone you know who's interested in vehicle combat i you, I mean, you definitely have to let them know up front, hey, don't invest too many points into this because we're actually going to be simplifying the system a lot. Um, I, I don't want you to like get too into the weeds with this. And actually, this is going to give you a lot more uh, resources and points to spend on like social skills and you know uh, personal combat. Uh, you'll still be able to do the cool things that you want to do. I'm just sort of making it all easier on all of us and making sure that everyone else isn't bored when you're doing your flashy thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's actually kind of ties into one of the most frequent questions we get about rogue trader is like why are we using dark heresy and how do you do the ship um (laughs) how do you do the ship ishan trank is actually the pilot as a former (laughs) imperial navy man and uh 
how do we do the ship? How do we do the his enduring light? <laughs> uh, it's all hand waved. Yeah, we've never once made a roll for the his enduring light other than navigating the warp. <laughs> yeah, and that is only during the time skips. Right. <laughs> hey, did you guys get lost? Right. It's not, oh, you get lost and the next session you're lost. No, it's five years ago you got lost. What happened? Right. Uh, yeah, Trank is the pilot because I have the highest agility and I'm the one who was like, sure, I'll invest a point in Operate Aeronautica. That's me. Yeah, so you fly the gun cutter <laughs> when it's relevant, um, which is also mostly just a means of conveyance. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, you know, seeing if uh, we end up on the wrong side of enemy lines. Right. Yeah, the, the one arc where it was useful, and then, then we were, like, happy to just kind of move it into a narrative element. Yeah, I mean, it's very much failing forward, right? Like, if we'd gotten caught in the hurricane on, was that Gontelgrim? Uh, yeah, it was on Gontelgrim. It, it wasn't going to be a wipe. We weren't all just going to die. Like, the campaign wasn't going to be over the hurricane would have put us somewhere interesting. Yeah, like lost at sea. <laughs> <laughs> For the next six sessions. <laughs> um, yeah, no, same thing um, as you entered Malajact, if you remember, like you had to deal with like the glass storms mm-hmm. um, that like plague the at- the upper atmosphere. Um, same thing, like there would have been an interesting outcome had you failed those piloting roles. Like you would have crashed unceremoniously to the ground and been very, very, very embarrassed and likely spending your fate points to stay alive. Um, as you know, your grand entrance in front of your rival rogue trader and also a dark angel and also an inquisitor, uh, was recovering her bodies from the crash site. (laughs) But instead we succeeded and we were able to, uh, you know, seem much more important than we actually are. Yeah. You were able to embarrass yourselves as soon as you open your mouth. Right. Socially. Right. As we should. (laughs) The way we always do it. (laughs) But that's why I put points in that. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the, uh, blades in the dark model as mm-hmm. well if you if you want to kind of like work out a little more mechanical benefit um let that be a separate track of like upgrading um for for smaller mechanical effects right so the way like blades in the dark treats your gang leveling up you can do the same thing with a vehicle of like cool it gives you like advantage on these checks when it's relevant or it gives you like you know uh plus 20 percent bonus to um these skills now uh when you're using them aboard the ship or or something like that yeah like we all decided okay we're gonna buy a sensor array for the ship and now you know as long as we're in some sort of like vox contact with the ship we all get a plus 10 to awareness test an awareness test or whatever right we painted it red right well it goes faster (laughs) yeah (laughs) we all go faster actually yeah when you're on the ship (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, and that's how we handle it in in Rogue Traders. Like, if you guys wanted to invest your limited resources in the ship, I would do that, right? Like, whatever it was that you guys wanted to add to the ship, I would allow you to do and then find a way to make that narratively valuable. Um, as it is, you guys are mostly just investing in your own refractor fields and, and personal tech, but that's fine, too. Uh, yes, and retinue size. Yes. <laughs> I said personal tech. <laughs> Did I get something to open a door? Yes, I got a man. Right. <laughs> He's a third generation door opener. <laughs> oh, 40K. All right. Uh, so let's talk about once you've got vehicles introduced into your campaign, what are some challenges and complications that you can use to make them feel more integral and, and more of a part of the story? Well, I know when I when my characters are traveling anywhere in a vehicle, it's always uneventful. Uh, nothing happens and we always get to our destination exactly when we expected to well you should keep taking taxis 
That is clearly working for your characters. <laughs> you should rent, not own. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, at some point, your vehicle is going to break down. It, it is going to break down. Mm-hmm. Some important component will fail. How many times is Chewbacca taking a taking a spanner to try and fix that hyperdrive motivator uh, so that they can escape? Percussive maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is you know uh, know your know your players or like players like let your GM know what kind of game you're interested in. Like if you want to play some kind of like Oregon Trail scenario where like hey great we brought six extra axles so we're fine you know and we used five of them hey hey we're smart for planning cool do that. Uh, usually though it's do you have a spare of course you don't have a spare no why would there be a spare for the uh, magical well that powers this floating castle yeah and i mean that's not that weird right like you have a spare tire for your car but you don't have spare spark plugs in your car you don't well i don't own a car so (laughs) i'm I'm speaking to you hypothetical listener who's listening (laughs) on their commute in a car (laughs) you should probably get some uh, spare spark plugs yeah think about it Mm -hmm. stop by uh, the auto zone also get a spare headlight a a spare taillight Mm -hmm. uh windshield wipers definitely uh Uh, some transmission fluid maybe some oil mm -hmm. that um air freshener shaped like a christmas tree you Uh probably want different kinds of shapes yeah Mm -hmm. good idea i don't know what else cars need uh oh clock radio do you need a spare? I, what if yours breaks? Yeah. Aren't there belts? How are you going to listen to this podcast if you... <laughs> yeah. Make sure you re-up your Sirius XM subscription. You can't get us <laughs> no, on Sirius XM. Don't do that. We're, yeah, we're not on Sirius. Screw those guys. Uh, well, I mean, someone could read our... Someone could hold their computer next to uh, a Sirius XM broadcast station. <laughs> and okay. then they could hear us on Sirius. Okay, if you are a Sirius XM broadcaster at us. Oh, yeah, we'll write back. Um, some other things that could happen, you could have, like, storms and environmental problems. So um, storms are a nice catch-all because they happen in space and they happen at sea and they happen in um, all manner of different ecosystems. And yeah, planets. they happen on the plains. Mm-hmm. I like storms because it means that it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Did we do enough maintenance? Didn't matter. Yeah, and I mean, storms are also great because they always have some knock-on effect, and you can always flavor them for wherever you are, right? So if you're uh, if you're flying in void space, it's a warp storm. If you're if you're sailing on a sea, it's Poseidon's anger. If you're you know crossing a desert, it's uh, it's a sandstorm. Yeah, and those become not just issues for the ship itself, but of course, you know, those elements are going to get inside somehow, or someone has to go outside and uh, make repairs, and then they have to deal with, uh, turns out we're in a giant ball of fire, or like, I'm being abraded to death. Right. Also, you know what's way harder than uh, following street signs? Mm, what? Navigating a ship. Oh, yeah. You just hit dials and... And sometimes the needle swings wildly, right? Well, that's what an NPC does. <laughs> but you are a player character, dear Ishan. <laughs> you have to use skill checks to figure these things out. Oh, no, I never invest in these. And they never lead you astray at all into interesting uh, inter- interesting problems, do they? Look, I always just assume that we will end up somewhere interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I it, I never right? put points in navigation. Yeah, it's it's succeed or fail at navigation. You either end up where you want to go or you end up someplace interesting. Either way, I win. There's probably loot here, and I'm sure there's experience. Where you might find yourself ending up is uh, into an ambush or a hijacking or just, you know, a good old-fashioned theft. Yeah, turns out we did have to leave the vehicle at some point, you know, to go do the adventuring and stuff. 
And then someone took it. And, oh, man, we just put in the tapestries. Yeah, where you've got that mutinous crew or larcenous crew. or well, That's why you have to shoot your crew. Drunken crew. You know, like all the liabilities of, of crew. Sometimes they're crute. A crute right. crew. A crute crew is a real problem. What could be worse? Eating all your jeans. <laughs> Better than stealing them, okay? <laughs> yeah, well, at least they leave the denim behind. Uh, you also have, as you mentioned, uh, like all the logistics for uh for your ship so do you have all the supplies necessary for the trip and what happens if there's some uh breakdown in in one of those say cargo holds um do you have enough ammunition to to remain safe do you have enough fuel to make the trip do you have to you know resupply along the way and figure out how you're going to do that yeah this is like the star trek voyager scenario you know the ship is fine uh but we could really use some food yeah (laughs) it's hard to eat bulkheads (laughs) <laughs> this is this is a lovely tomb we're flying in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why uh, we should all be Necrons. <laughs> well, there you go. And you know, sometimes if your ship isn't in the best condition, it can leave traces of it behind. <laughs> Whether that's smoke or bits of gear or I guess just a warp wake. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's also like you put in at this port and you had to register to do that. So there is now a record of your ship at this port. Well, we didn't buy the extra transponders. I mean, there's a record of that transponder at this port. There is some record of where you've been, which means somebody that you owe money to is going to be hot on your trail. That's okay. We'll just sell them the ship. (laughs) Right. And then leave. Um, Also, you know, if your ship is uh, famous or if you have a reputation, it's going to be very hard to kind of slip in unnoticed if your ship is very um unique or or otherwise noticeable yeah i love that we we have a ship and we named it of course we want to like we want to be famous right we want the ship to be famous but like not that famous yeah that's that's one of the things i like about dark heresy that it had that subtlety mechanic of like yeah you can do certain things very loudly and you will get some reactions that are very positive for you i mean other things will be terrible because people know you're coming you can be very subtle, and then you won't have all the resources you might otherwise have at your disposal, but they'll never see you coming. Can you do it shorthanded? Can can you do it if they know you're coming and are prepared? Who knows? Yeah, and I, I love that there's always, okay, we're going to sneak into Charleston. We're going to get what we need, and we're going to, nah, forget it. We're going to sail into the harbor. We're going to lower the black sails. Right. <laughs> we're going to get what we want, and we're going to leave, but we can never come back. Or there's like the uh, the Jack Sparrow sailing into Tortuga, right? It's like he parks his uh, he parks his boat on the bottom of the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst pirate I've ever heard of, but you have heard of me. <laughs> so the other complication that often comes with vehicles is like you run into more authority because they tend to be more regulated. So you might have like blockades if uh, if an area is like at war or on high alert you might have inspections for like cargo and those types of things that of course you might have to pay off an inspector because you're not entirely on the up and up um or or just general like authority right like the space cops pull you over you know the uh the navy wants to uh wants to see your manifest yeah it's like difficult terrain but for your boat uh, I can't, but, but social terrain. Go around, too. Yeah, I can't go around it. I got to go over it. It either takes forever or it's impassable. Right. <laughs> and I just have so much stuff now. You know, you know, like when you move into a new place, like it's bigger than your old one because, like, you finally made it, and you always buy furniture to fill it up. You never have like open room, right? Like, if there's a room, you get a couch for it. 
And now, you know, that house is moving with you because you're essentially a hermit crab because you're an adventurer. Uh, and you don't want to let any of it go. You don't want, you don't want to sell it. Uh, you don't want to liquidate it. You certainly don't want to leave it behind and not get anything for it. The threat to impound your vehicle is is perhaps the the GM's greatest weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it keeps happening to uh, to Han Solo. It turns out, <laughs> 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 which of course gives you an opportunity for a heist. <laughs> Steal your own stuff back. So I think to wrap up vehicles, like the the important thing to remember is to tailor the vehicles and the way that you play with them to what your group is expecting. So if they're excited to, you know, engage in like dog fights and like capital ship barrages and all of that sort of stuff, then make sure that you're incorporating vehicles that are going to like let them do that and make sure that they're building characters where they can like fully engage in those systems. You know, you wouldn't like build a battletech character who doesn't have any piloting skills. Um, but you know, otherwise, if they're really excited about like, you know, saving Eberron from uh, from one of the Lords of Dust and one of the Overlords, like, you know, give them an airship so they can easily get around. But like, don't make it a huge mechanical focus. Like, leave it as a narrative element, right? Yeah. Aside from those rare games where you kind of need to need to start with a ship, a Firefly game, essentially, um, vehicles tend to come into play in the late game, right? So ideally, you've already got players who know what they're doing. They know what they like. Um, they're familiar with the system. So you can put a lot of the onus on them in, in figuring out. Like one of the most fun things in a Star Wars game uh, with higher level play is just being like, hey, you got uh, 11 million credits by a ship. You, you guys pick it, outfit it, do your thing, you know, and just uh, give me a character sheet when you're done, you know? Yep. I'll see what I can break. Players, oh my God, it's so much fun shopping. Yeah, you can just buy the source books for that. <laughs> <laughs> it is the thing that will get me to buy the source books, right? Wait, there there are more ships in that book? Yeah, what do you mean there's more ships? Huh? Look at all this cargo space. We can convert to guns. <laughs> Perfect. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? It's the terrible sound of me being towed. That's happened so many times. It's always terrible. Well, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge, see if we can find a way to get your keys back. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And now, a word from one of our other DSPN shows. Hey everybody, James Intercasso here, co-creator of the Don't Split the Podcast Network with Rudy Basso, and I am so excited to tell you about our new podcast, DSPN Presents. DSPN Presents is one-shot actual plays, panels from conventions that we attend, pilots for new podcasts, and so much more. It's basically whatever we thought was a good idea to turn into a podcast that didn't fit on one of the other podcasts in the network. So, I would love for you to check out DSPN Presents. There's some awesome actual play content that is up there right now. Go check it out wherever podcasts are sold or at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com.
So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Spell Slugger. I think we may have mentioned at Gen Con and maybe one other time. Was it last week, actually? that this, Oh, the Spell Slugger. That's an easy one. It's a monk and a wizard. It was less easy, and it's not just a monk and a wizard, turns out. Mm-hmm. So you said it's a monk and a wizard, but, but what is really the Spell Slugger? It is a melee-focused wizard that uses spells to augment unarmed combat yeah or i guess you could say it's uh, a monk who uses spells to augment melee combat i think it's all how you see yourself yeah it's true who am i really yeah don't put me in a box oh the tragedy of the multi-class character all right um okay so what's the build it is abjuration wizard six hexblade warlock two way of the long death monk 12 so this build is going to be dex and intelligence focused. You're mostly going to ignore wisdom, or you can. You don't need to pump it. So, I don't know. High elf actually works pretty nicely here. Um, something with high dex, high intelligence. That feels very out of sorts for a high elf, though. Like, I, oh, man. I just, high elf with bloody knuckles, you know? Well, if you were the type of elf who did want to engage in unarmed combat, wouldn't you also do it with some magic? That's definitely accurate, yeah. All right, so what's wh- what are we getting from Monk here? We get unarmed combat, martial arts, flurry of blows. Uh, like you said, you don't really need wisdom, so we're not really getting much of an AC bonus. Right. We do get like the cool defensive stuff, deflect arrows. We get some slow fall. Uh, eventually, we get extra attack, which is nice because, of course, we're a melee combat-focused character. You also get some tankiness with evasion. Which, which is going to come into play later. And you'll get immunity to poison and disease. So Way of the Long Death also gives you a bit of temp HP when you uh, kill an enemy uh, within five feet of you, which is going to be pretty much all of your killing. And your close to capstone ability, uh, once you get to Monk 12, is you just pop a key point to not die. Yep, if you'd be reduced to zero, you pop a key point, you are instead reduced to one. Hey, it's pretty useful for a melee character. Right. From Wizard, uh, Abjuration Wizard is going to give us the arcane ward ability which um sort of gives you an extra pool of hit points that absorb damage which is equal to your wizard level times two plus your uh intelligence bonus so once you max out wizard you're going to be around you know 12 you'll be 12 plus intelligence hit points so like 16 hit points yeah so you'll get up to third level spells which uh you're are really going to shine for you as the spell slugger. Uh, you'll get things like shield, which will boost your AC, abjure elements, which gives you um, a, a chance to absorb damage and deal it back. Dish it back out, yeah. Uh, you'll get some of those utility spells like fly. Haste is actually nice on you for the extra attack uh, and the extra defensive bonuses. Yeah, hold person is nice too, but you want to put that on somebody else. Probably. Hypnotic pattern works uh, as great battlefield control. And fireball is really nice because remember, you have evasion. If you want to drop a fireball on you, go for it. You're not going to take any damage. Right. Now, warlock, yeah, you'll get two first level spells per rest. Which you will, of course, be using for shield. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> I think uh, Hexblade also gets uh, Wrathful Smite, which yeah. is like if you want to do the I'm a monk and now my hands are glowing and I'm totally going to punch you and your head's going to explode, th- th- that works. That does. Yeah. Um, Hex, also very good. 
you miss out on the benefits of things like Hex Warrior. Like, we're not interested in using Charisma to attack, but Hexblade's curse is really nice because once per uh, short rest, you basically point at someone and go, hey, uh, I get... Uh, I crit on 19s and 20s uh, against you. And of course, as a monk, you are doing two attacks plus flurry of blows very often. You're, you can crit fish. Yep. You'll also get two invocations. Um, here we probably want to take Armor of Shadows and Fiendish Vigor. Yeah, Armor of Shadows sets your AC to 13 plus your dex. So remember your dex focused. Um, it's basically equivalent to having a 16 wisdom. It's uh, like mage armor, basically. Yeah, it, it is. It is at will mage armor. That's kind of the point because mage armor is an abjuration spell and so you can cast it at will and remember each time you cast an an abjuration spell you recharge the hit points of your arcane ward from abjuration wizard right which means that anytime you get just a few seconds you can start refilling your ward uh you're also you're also going to take fiendish vigor which uh does a 1d4 plus four temporary hit points you can cast it at will so it's going to be eight right you're just going to do it till you get eight yeah every fight you will start with eight temp hp uh, and then if you need it in a pinch, you've always got it uh, in your back pocket. So every fight, you should be starting with, what, 16-ish hit points in your ward and then 8 from uh, Fiendish Vigor. So you're looking at soaking the first 24 points of damage in any fight. Uh, plus, you know, once you use up the temp HP from Fiendish Vigor, every time you make a kill, you're getting more temp HP. Right. So you can take a lot of punishment, especially with, like, shield and abjure elements. Right. And evasion. <laughs> So in terms of leveling order, we probably want to start with uh, Monk and then Warlock, finish that out, um, then get your Wizard, and then you're at level 4, you kind of got to go get your your extra attack pretty quickly here, so probably take Monk to 5, Wizard to 5 for 3rd level spells, then finish your Monk and finish your Wizard. Yeah, you can drop Wizard 6 in anywhere. That's uh, the Arcane. You can use the Arcane Ward to protect someone else. It just kind of depends on your personality. Like, if you're the kind of person who would do that, I guess pick it up earlier. Yeah, I, I do kind of like that this... Um, it, it keeps you pretty even between Monk and Wizard the whole way, if you'd like, um, until you really just, like, kind of finish out your last few monk levels yeah but by the time you're like level three you're really feeling like you are someone who punches and has spells yeah (laughs) who slugs and spells done so shane who is your spell slugger my spell slugger um as previously alluded to is a high elf who has some bloody knuckles uh because they're kind of a punk you know like my high elf uh rejects high elf society um why is it that we're gonna live forever but we're not gonna live at all like we're so repressed you know like we should get out there and like dust it up and you know like take a more uh a more proactive lease on life you're playing a shadow run elf i am playing a shadow run yep 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 yep. i've got a a leather jacket some studs uh definitely have a mohawk and you know most of my uh like some notches shaved into my eyebrows i've got some piercings yeah Uh, which i which i press to digitate yeah (laughs) they move on their own right (laughs) yeah i i mean i would play the um like the black sheep of my family uh who is probably studying like probably took some books to learn wizard craft from after getting that first level of wizard uh and isn't looking back and definitely isn't going back to a wizard tower because school is for fools literally the eternal embarrassment to the family yeah 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 
but like a hell of a bare knuckle boxer. <laughs> How about you, Ishan? My spell slugger um, is a gnome, and she has always been fascinated by the like physical mechanics of um boxing of punching yeah exactly like oh that's so interesting how like i apply force in a particular manner and it has uh, such uh, interesting effects on you i like yeah it's like the the literal sweet science <laughs> uh however being a gnome she says you know i think there are ways that we can optimize this whole punching thing maybe we should add some magic i mean i don't know why we wouldn't add some magic what if i was you know faster or like flying and i punched you from the top or the bottom I, I love this idea as like an Eberron, like Zalargo artificer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? And like it's not monk training and um and warlock stuff. It, it's like your mech suit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's all of your artificer stuff <laughs> as a wizard that is like doing the super punch. I mean, in Eberron, I might even play it as like wacky stuff, like you know, it's a it's a boxing glove on a spring. Look at me go, and I made some toys. <laughs> I'm, I made some toys, and I have a bandolier. Um, they're random little potions that pop in your face. No, Mish Punch. <laughs> Look over there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, and of course, Long Death is uh, gonna have to be reflavored as uh, some sort of crazy defense mechanism with you know plenty of gears and a little bit of steam. Oh, it's the rope dope, right? Like <laughs> you think you've got me down, but you don't have me down. <laughs> that was that wasn't me. I was over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yep. I'm behind you. Yep. Uh-huh, uh huh. Nope. Nope. Up here, <laughs> over your left shoulder. You only thought you had me lined up. <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And this is a reminder, today is the last day. Thursday, August 16th is the last day to support us on Patreon and enter our giveaway for the audible download codes for Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations, uh, as written by... Don't Split the Podcast Network member Mike Shea and read by DSPN member Rudy Basso. Oh, it's a twofer. Uh-huh. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We are dangerously close to 100 reviews. And if you do that, we will read it on the air. So this week's review is Well, I'm Thrilled, five stars by Rustifer1. These guys make a long commute better. I've started DMing a 5e West Marches style campaign for many friends, and these episodes are a wealth of knowledge of how to make it more fun for my players. Many of my players want to play their favorite characters from fiction or history, like Gandalf or Alexander Hamilton. The Character Creation Forge shows just how much possibility there is in role-playing games. Thanks, guys. Your player does know how things ended for Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like a great musical. Yeah. <laughs> I will live on in infamy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe play Aaron Burr. <laughs> that guy's the worst. Hey, at least he gets to level 20. <laughs> All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about, finally, time travel. I want to go back in time and replan this. <laughs> uh, what do we have in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Highlander. Well, that's it for episode 159 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 